This week's parasha, parasha Truma, begins a very clear departure from what we've had until now. The first half of Zefer Shemot is a narrative that takes us up to Matan Torah, and then we shift very quickly to a legal code, beginning with the words Anochi Hashem Lokecha, and completed really with Lotva Shogdiba Chalevimo, and then the end of Mishpatim, which is kind of sums up the experience at Har Sinai, sort of. The reason I say sort of is we're going to stay at Har Sinai until the beginning of Bamidbar. But the events of what we refer to as Ma'amad Har Sinai or Matan Torah are pretty much completed at the end of Mishpatim, although this is still happening because the end of Mishpatim says that Moshe went into the cloud and he was there for 40 days and 40 nights. And what we're reading about now is actually what would happen during that time. But beginning with Parshat Truma, the focus of, of the law code is really not a law code in the normal sense of things, but rather is the prescription and description of the construction of the Mishkan. Truman Tetzavan, the beginning of Kitisa, is the prescription. The Vayakhelm Kude is the description. And the rest of Kitisa is the big speed bump in the road, which is the Egel and the aftermath of the Egel. Uh, at the beginning of, uh, of the description of the Mishkan, which, by the way, is presented in teleological sequence and not practical sequence. In other words, the Mishkan is described from inside out, not the first thing you'd make, but what the purpose of it is. And the purpose of the Mishkan is v'shachanti v'tocham, but the purpose, shall we say, the focal point of the Mishkan is the Aron, Kaporet, and Kruvim, as we see here. So in the description of the Aron, we're given the details, the size, the, the, the plating, the rings, the staves, etc. And Pasuk Chavbet is the one I want to focus on, because with all of this very magnificent talk, we're going to focus on a tiny little detail, no bigger than the letter Vav, and yet we're going to see that it's um, that it it is going to take us into some interesting places. The last pasuk of the parsha of the Aron Kruvim and Kaporet altogether is Vinoati Lachasham. You see it in big print pasuk Kafet. This Parakafe, by the way, Vinoati Lachasham, which means I will meet with you there. You seem to be Moshe. V'dibarti Itchami Ala Kaporet. I will speak to you or with you, from above the kaporet, the kaporet, of course, is the gold cover on top of the of, of the aron, mi bein shnei keruvim. I'm going to speak to you from between the two keruvim, asher al aron ha'idut. It's on top of the aron. So we're given all the details here. Like everything else in, in these parashio, lots of details and lots of seeming repetition. Me'ala kaporet, mein shnei keruvim, asher al aron ha'idut, eight kol asher tzavelt chal Israel. So how would you translate that pasuk? Don't look at the translation here, but how would you translate it? I will meet with you there and speak to you, or speak with you from above the kaporet, between the kruvim, which are on top of Aron Ha'idut. And what do you do with the end of the last phrase? Everything that I will command you to B'nai Yisrael. Meaning, what is it I'm going to speak to you about? Everything I'm going to command you. Okay, Good. Now, the first place we're going to take a look here is in the Septuagint, because it's the earliest translation we have of the Torah. And a couple words about the Septuagint, which is 3rd or maybe 2nd century BCE, in Alexandria probably, uh, is that in quite a number of cases, the Septuagint 
um, shall we say, editorializes, or shall we say, acts as an editor in its translation. As one example, as you know, that there are seven nations that currently occupy the land of Canaan that we're supposed to displace. And those nations are listed a couple times with all the names, Achiti, Vachivi, Vagrashi, Vaprizi, Vayibusi, Vachiti, and I left somebody out, Vaprizi maybe, Vakrani. However, in most places in the Torah, there's only three of them listed or four of them listed, occasionally six of them listed. Girgashi is almost never there. And yet, every time that that list shows up, the Septuagint lists all seven. So that doesn't seem to be an issue of this of the Septuagint operating from a different, what we call vorlage, or text that it's translating, but it's an editorial decision to add in all seven names. Uh, there's a whole num- a whole range of things of that sort. But in many cases, the Septuagint's translation seems to reflect a slight variant in the text it's working from. And it's working from a Sefer Torah. And here's an example. In the, and there are actually two changes here. This is the Septuagint, the translation. Kai gnos thesomai. Now you actually recognize that word because the word gno means to know as like ignorant, one who doesn't know, and gnostic, right? So that means I will become known to you and the rest of the pasuk, which means how are they reading the first word in the pasuk? They're not reading it vinoadti, but rather vinodati, the dalit and the ayin switching places. And indeed, uh, later authors have identified, later authorities, scholars have identified that the Greek version that they're operating from seems to have the word vinodati. Now that's not so super uncommon to have that kind of word switch. We have that with Kevis and Kesev. It's called metathesis. Uh, we have it with Salman, Salma, Samla, and Sal, Simla and Salma, uh, the switching of letters. So whether, what well, the impact of that, but that's not the main focus. The, you notice eight Israel, and now, um, by the way, the word just before the highlighted word Kai there is testimony. So that's Edut. Kai Kata Panta and everything and all things, Hosa and Telomaya, then I'm going to command so you, Prostusios Israel to the Bnei Israel, which means how are they reading this word? They're clearly reading this word Ve'et which, if you think about it, makes a world of difference in the Pasuk, which is, I'm going to meet with you and I'll speak to you there, and everything I'll command you to B'nai Israel, which means I'm going to speak to you about some things, and I'll command you to B'nai Israel, which means there's going to be speech that's not command that Hashem's going to have with Moshe, seemingly. However, in our text, it says eight, and the way we translate it is, I will meet you and speak with you, Dahainu, the mitzvot. It's all one thing. Right? And here I gave you the one of the English translations of the Septuagint, which is funny because it's an English translation of a Greek translation of the Hebrew text. But in any, in any case, just so you can see it. Um, the Rashi on the spot says something that is remarkable, which is, first of all, the Dibur Matzchil of Rashi is Ve'et Kol And if all that's all I had, I would say that's a typo. The scribe who copied Rashi, because we do not have any original monographs of Rashi. The tr- scribe who copied Rashi from some other scribe, 
by accident put a vav in there. I'm not bothered by that, but I am bothered by this. Rashi comments on the vav in the pasuk and says, Are vav zo Rashi says that vav is extra. The kamoa harbe mamikra. There's a lot of vavs like that in the mikra where the vav really doesn't say anything. And what Rashi is trying to do is to preempt the interpretation that I gave, which is that I will speak to you and I'll command. He says, no, it doesn't mean that. The vav is extra. And this is how you should interpret what the text means. What I will speak to you is the mitzvot. So in other words, don't think that Hashem is saying, I'm going to speak with you, meet with you, schmooze with you. We'll talk Super Bowl privately, and then I'm going to give you mitzvot. But rather, I'm going to speak with you, which is the mitzvot. And the vav doesn't really do anything. But that means Rashi is seems to be operating with a text that has a vav in it. Now, let's keep in mind that if you had a Sefer Torah that had a vav in it, the Sefer Torah would be pasul. So, does it mean Rashi is operating from a Sefer Torah that's pasul? Does it mean all of ours are pasul because there should be a vav? You understand that this little letter could create quite a bit of havoc. And by the way, that's only because we are Rashi is preempting the possible interpretation that the pasuk means a whole different thing. And then it would be not only an extra vav, it would be a whole different meaning. So let's take a look at what happens with this Rashi. By the way, a little bit of the history of Rashi's commentary on the Torah. Rashi, as you know, lived from 1040 to 1105. Uh, that's the famous thing. You look how much you can get done in 25 minutes. Um, and Rashi wrote his commentary on Chumash after he returned from Mayence, and he came back to Troyes. And he wrote his commentary on Chumash. And, uh, and then he continued revising it throughout his life. And the result of that is that we have, by the way, over 100 extant manuscripts of Rashi's commentary on Chumash. We're going to look at a few of them today. And the manuscripts don't agree with each other. They don't agree with each other for two reasons, two very broad reasons. The first is the one you would expect, which is a manuscript is copied by hand. And when people copy things, they make mistakes. And therefore, there's, you know, there's a whole range of classic mistakes, dittography, epilography, etc., where because you see the word, you skip to the next, same place, the same word on another line, and you skip a whole line, or the opposite, you repeat it. Um, mistakes that wouldn't happen. So you would you would assume that there's a, yet a second reason why manuscripts are different. I'm, I'm going to say three. A second reason manuscripts are different is because of an interesting phenomenon with manuscripts. Every manuscript written that we know of leaves margins on the side and on the top and the bottom. And the pragmatic reason for the margin is so that you can handle the parchment or the papyrus and not eat away at the text. There's something to hold that's not text. But the margin also worked for a different purpose. When a, let's say Rashi, wrote his commentary, and then perhaps afterwards realized, or told his student, or his student asked him, didn't you leave something out, or don't you want to correct something? He would correct it in the margin. And therefore, you that margin note would then, the next time it was copied, would be integrated into the text. However, sometimes scribes would write their own margin notes, either pointing something out about the text, adding something maybe heard from Rashi, adding their own comment, whatever. And the next copyist 
thought it was a comment of Rashi. And so it would be integrated. And so what we have is numerous examples of Perushim in Rashi's commentary that aren't Rashi. They are Rashi students, and in some cases, copyists. There's yet a third thing, a third reason for there being different manuscripts is because if somebody came up to Rashi in, let's say, 1070 and said, Rebbe, I'd like a copy of your commentary. Can I take it, please? Somebody paid me a lot of money and took a year and, and copied. You have to be very rich to have books in those days. And to copy it, the guy would copy Rashi's commentary. Another guy comes to Rashi 10 years later and says, Rebbe, can I have a copy of your commentary so I can copy it out? He'd get a different commentary because Rashi had revised it in the meantime. And so we have manuscripts that have a lot of different texts in it for several reasons. A, scribal mistakes. B, scribal intrusions, if you will. And C, a different source text they're working from. Okay. So now look at Rashi in one of the better Kitveyad that we have, which is Weimar. I think it's 165C is the catalog name. It's 13th century Germany. That means it's 200 years before the printing press, and it's 200 years after Rashi. Uh, and it's, uh, it was uh, written in Germany. And this is really wild. Look at what it says. This is, I mean, I, I looked it up online and I copied it out. It's very hard to read. I had to do some work. Notice what, what Rashi says here. The Pasuk says et. Belovav. Right. Now, by the way, if you think about it, why would Rashi ever have to say that? There's an et without a vav, right? Very strange, unless perhaps you could argue, well, there were people who were claiming there's a vav, and Rashi's trying to say there is no vav. But it's still an odd comment. It gets odder yet in the highlighted section. The vav is there, but it's extra. Now, you understand the problem here. What's what? What does tefela mean? Extra. Superfluous. But you understand the problem in the comment? The comment contradicts itself. In the first four words of the comment, he says, there is no et. And then he says, I'm sorry, there is no vav. The word et is without a vav. And the next four words, that, is, the vav is there, but it's superfluous. And then the rest, of the, comment, oh, sorry, the rest of the commentary is exactly like the one we had. It's the same comment that we have. What happened here? How could this how could this occur? It's very weird. So that, that look that looks like a case like you described where one of the Matikim or somebody wrote a Herabatsad et those four words, et katuv below vav. Right. And the next matik incorporated into the exactly. text. Exactly. Exactly. So the so the sofer, either being a scholar or a scribe, a copyist, exactly like Pinchas says, takes a look at Rashi and says, wait a second, all our Sifrei Torah don't have a vav. So on the side he writes, et katu below vav. And then, the but, but the, the comment of Rashi, of course, is to deal with the vav that's there. And then what happens is that the next copyist in, in, integrates it without even knowing what he's doing, because this, this comment is nonsensical. The comment in itself is nonsensical. There is no vav, and the vav means this. Very strange. Now, by the way, okay. just, just to let you know that Rashi is not alone on this. Just make that clear. Mahari Karad, I don't know if, you, if we've talked about him before, but Rabbi Yosef ben Shimon 
Kara was his title. He was the Tanakh teacher in Rashi's Beit Midrash. That's a pretty cool thing to be. And he was a younger colleague of, uh, of Rashi. And by the way, Rashi quotes him a couple times. Rashi's students quote him more frequently, Rabbi Yosef Rabbi Shimon. Um, and we do have his commentary on Chumash in fragments. His commentary here is, Now, that is, again, just the Dibur Matchil, which we don't know if that's a mistake, meaning the copyist. But then he says, Which means he's trying to explain that the Vav doesn't mean anything. Again, much of it is cut out. The Ibn Ezra, who we all know very well, says, And then he goes on again to say that the Vav doesn't impact on the word, but that means the Ibn Ezra has a Vav. And parenthetically, moving ahead to Provence in the 13th century, of Chizkeb Rabbanoach in his monumental Chizkuni commentary, quote, the Dibra Matchil that was printed as Eit Kol Asher and he says, Perush v'dibarti chasham. Which means, by the way, he's reading the Vav as meaningful. And he's saying back in the Pasuk that it means, I will meet with you and give me tzvot. Plus, I'm going to speak to you. Two different things, which is what I had proposed earlier as the meaning of the Pasuk with the Vav. Now, we, we move ahead to the uh, to the 15th century, the Minchat Shai, um, Norzi, who was the, really the one of the earliest um, people who engaged in what we refer to as textual criticism of the Tanakh, where he compared different manuscripts and different uh, and different versions from the codices and different Sifrei Torah that he examined to see where there was a discrepancy, whether there was a way to decide which was the more accurate one. Minchachai is a marvelous work. It's printed classically in Omicron Kudalot, available online. It's great. Watch what he says. And this, by the way, is way longer than the class than the typical Minchat Shai comment, which is usually half a line. Eight kola shartzavet. He says, Tmihani al hador. I'm surprised, I'm amazed at three giants. Shem Chachamim Gdolim. Who are they? And notice the order he puts Ibn Ezra, Virachi, Vichizkuni. I don't know how come the Ibn Ezra got first. Shepershu ve'et kol asher bevav. They explained it as having a vav. Domesh ekena yakatu b'sifrayim. So it seems that their sifrei Torah had a vav. Kvarim ayinin laham milta mashkachne la b'masor rabta dechashiv ladeim psuka harivata dechivahu tzavaa et kol asher. So he says, I looked into Masoretic works that identified this is one of the three places that says eight kol asher tzavaa. So he tells where the other ones are, and then Shoftim, and below Vav, which means I checked the Masoretic text and they uniformly said there's no Vav here. And I am amazed, astounded, and confused by Rashi, Ibn Ezra, and the Chizkuni that have a Vav. There's nowhere to disagree, no room to disagree about the fact that there should be no Vav. Now remember, we're we're arguing here about possibly, as the Chizkuni said, the meaning of the phrase, but more to the point <laughs> about the the, the Kashan of a Sefer Torah and how it should be written. And then he says, Mizrahi al-Rashi, and now I quote the Mizrahi in Source 9, 
The Mizrahi, really, Mizrahi was considered to be one of the early super commentators, and he's still considered to be perhaps the most significant super commentator on Rashi. There are hundreds of them who wrote commentaries on Rashi. The Mizrahi is printed as the headliner in every compilation of Perushe Rashi. And he just simply writes, I looked in a bunch of Sifrei Torah, I couldn't find a Vav. I don't know where it came from. He's scratching his head. Now, just to to show you on the on the left side, number eleven here, um, the the most famous and what's commonly considered to be the most authoritative taviyat of Rashi that we have is Leipzig one, and uh, and you notice that in the text. Now, this is not Rashi. Rashi didn't write this. It's uh, in my think thirteenth century. And you notice that, by the way, if you take a look at it, you see on the Vav of Aron, there's a little circle on top. That's because in many, many manuscripts and many Sifre Torah was written without a Vav. Aron without a Vav. And now you get to eight and there's another circle. Now, Rashi's commentary here. Notice this. He says, This is a Vav etc. And now what you see is that the Sofer tried to scratch it out. Try to scratch the whole comment out. Ah. As if there is no such comment about that. And then, in his own role, right, he said, I found this, and I believe it's from Rabbeinu Shmaya, who was a student of Rashi, or Rabbeinu Simcha, I can't see, one of the students of Rashi. You understand that this little comment created a firestorm for people. Um, one of the Contemporaries of the of the Mizrahi believe Rabbi Avram Bukharat, who was a uh, a uh, scholar in fifteenth century, who wrote a commentary on Rashi. Um, here is also astounded by the inclusion of this vav. Um, and um, and he says, "Aval achar bakashat hamechila alioti." Etc., etc. I don't want to challenge anything, but there were people who were claiming, as he quotes, people are claiming that this comment isn't really Rashi. He says, I'm I'm but I could tell you from the beautiful, terse, succinct language of this, it is Rashi. Mashiach Hashem, that's what he calls him. And he says, I have no idea where that vav came from. But what it tells you is that the overwhelming evidence is that this comment really was in Rashi. And the overwhelming evidence was, is that Rashi was operating with a text that had a vav in it. Now, the question that I that I want this to lead to is: Does this bother us at all? There are many people for whom this piece would be very troubling. As I told you at the beginning, I showed the Rashi in a regular mikrogdolot. I showed the Rashi to a colleague of mine on Sunday, and his eyes literally bugged out. You don't see that too often. And uh, and then he told me yesterday that he showed it to a few of his friends, and they all had the same reaction. They, they didn't understand what to do with it. How's Rashi commenting on a letter that's not there? But what's fairly obvious is that Rashi was operating with a text. He was not the only one. Ibn Ezra had it. Marie Kra, that's not a surprise. But the Chizkuni also had it, a text that had a vav in it, the eight. The question is, does that bother us? So I'm going to raise the stakes three times in the next six minutes. We'll see. Um, how many boxes do we have in our Phil and Shorosh? 
We have four. We have four. We all know we have four. four. Yeah. There are two different approaches about how we know that they're like a source for four. And the one I want to look at is this one accredited to Rabbi Yishmael, which is part of a larger discussion about Yesh Eim Lamikran and Yesh Eim Lamasoret, which is what guides our reading of a text is the way it's written or the way that it's read. And supporting the position that it's the way that it's written is the following. Letotafot, you see how it's written there in source 13. Letotafot, letotafot. Now notice, in the first two times, there is no vav. And therefore, it could be read totefet, which would be singular. Letotafot, there's a vav at the end, which is clearly plural. So one, one, and two, harikan arba. And by the way, this is also the famous Joshua Rabbi Shimon with Sukkot, Sukkot, Sukkot. It says Sukkot three times in the Psukim, and two times it's without a Vav, Samachav Taf, and then Samachav Vav Taf. And so Rabbi Shimon says, Aha, Sukkot, 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 that's how you know you need four walls. And then Al Khamashina mean says you it takes one away, etc. Right? Okay. How did how do you get four here? Look at the first word, Totefet, Totefet, singular, singular, one, one, Totafot. One, one, two is four. Now, Tosfot on the spot says, it basically says, our Sifrei Torah don't look like that. And by the way, our Sifrei Torah don't look either like that or like Tosfot, meaning as far as the vibes go. Malay Chaser. Now remember, if you have a, a, a the word Totafot and, and you're supposed to write it with a vav, or in this case, two vibes, and by the way, according to Rabino Tom, three vibes, because Ule Totafot, maybe a possible three vobs or two vobs, but in different places, a vob before the word, and you don't put the vob in, it's pasul. Sefer Torah is pasul. And yet, you see here that the, the Sefer Torah that they were operating from in Rabbi Shmael's time had the spelling, the orthography one way. Tosfot says, we have it different and describes what they have, and we have it different than both. A little strange. I'll raise the stakes a little bit more. Because that, what that tells you is that the orthography, as far as Malech Haser goes, was something that there were variant manuscripts of the Torah. I'll raise it. In the Gemara, at the beginning of Megillah, there is a discussion about what is more significant, uh, Talmud Torah Darabim or, or uh, Korban Tamid. And in, it's a part of the issue of the Chia, what's Doche, what? It all starts with that Rico Megill is and that it goes from there. And then, in part of that discussion, it brings up the issue of Yehoshua, who, if you recall, encounters the Sartzva Hashem, who draws his sword, and Yehoshua bows at his feet. And the end of Parakeh of Yehoshua. And the Gemara, in typical Agadic fashion, conflates uh, the events before Yericho and in Yericho and in Ha'ai, all into one. Amarlo. So now, Yoshua says, why are you coming, Ki'ila, to kill me? Emesh bitaltem tamid shabay Yesterday, you didn't bring the korban tamid in the afternoon. V'achshav bitaltem tamud Torah. Now, you're not learning. Amarlo al ezemian bata. So Yoshua says, so which of them, meaning, which really clinched our punishment? Amarlo atavati. So atavati means, I came now, which means, it's the most recent thing that's the cause of it, which means, Talmud Torah is more important. Okay, I'm not concerned with that part right now. Miyad, so what does Yoshua do? What did Yoshua do? He went to sleep in the valley, and the Gemara then says, 
He went into the meaning. He he started learning. Okay. By the way, the yeshiva and finished yeshiva in Borough Park and Akalacha is named after that Gemara. Okay. The problem is that that pasuk doesn't exist. That's why I put it in different font. Pasuk doesn't exist. You have a pasuk in Parakhet, which is the war against the eye, the second war against the eye. It says, Vayal in Yoshua Balai Vahu Am. Yoshua slept among the people. You have a pasuk a few pasukim later, it says, Vayelech Yoshua Balai Vahu Imek. All right? So Tosfut on the spot points this out. It says, Lok Tiv Bahai Krakein. The pasuk doesn't say that. That's also not exactly the case, because that's about high. Okay, like I said, those two psukim. And then Tosun says something that's remarkable. He says, That's what the, the, the Gemara does. What they do is they take a little bit of this pasuk, and a little bit of that pasuk, and they put it together, you get a drasha. Including the most famous example of that, which is Vinatana Kesafakamlo. And that's a halachic pasuk that tells you that you cannot be podehektish on uh, anything but kesef. You can't use a star for bidyon hektish. Because of Vinatana Kesafakamlo, which is a pasuk that doesn't exist. It's a half a pasuk and a half a pasuk in different places. However, the Radak takes a different approach to this, this drasha. He says, Vizeha Drash Rachok. This drash is a little distant, shall we say. He ain't shatamilchama shatamutarai. Said, first of all, they're at war. What are they learning from? Should be war. Vyodki Pasuk Vayelach Yoshua, Vayalan Yoshua, who Rachok Mizaparja. This is not in Yericho when then the Malach is there. Humachamatai. Vyod ki koteva drash is at ta'aba pasuk. Look what the Radak says. Unlike Tosfod says, this is the style of Gemara. He says, no, the guy blew it. And he quotes our two He said, and the guy blew it because he, he, he mis, misinterpreted or misread the, the Pasuk. Now, it's important to note, just to bolster this, and then we're, we're going to end with this famous uh, passage from the Sifri, that the Rambam testifies in Hilchot Sefer Torah that all of the Sfarim that we have here in Egypt are all messed up. The Sifre Torah. They're messed up in their orthography. They're messed up in Tuchot Ustumot. They're messed up in the way that the Shirot are written. Right? And the Chain Balea Masoret, in the end of the first line, Shekodvinu Machabrin Lahodiyap Tuchot Vastumot Nechlakim Yidvarim Eilu, the Machloket Asfarim Shesomchin Aleyhim. Everybody who's writing a Masoret, including the Ben Naftali family, the Ben Asher family, they all disagree because they're operating from Sifrei Torah that are different. So the Rambam here is testifying that in the 12th century, in the Middle East, there are Sifrei Torah that are different in the letters that are there, in the form, etc. So ra'iti lichtov heina kol parshiot Torah, and by the way, the Rambam does this, astumot v'aptuchot v'tzurat hashirot, I'm going to write now in the Mishnah Torah, right? And he does. He lists. These are all the Parshot Tuchot in Breshit. There's all the Parshot Stumot in Breshit. Shmot. All five sorry, all five Chumashim. And he lists them all. So that we will be able to have a proper Sefer Torah. And everybody will correct the Sefer Torah based on that. And then he says the, the text that we're using is the text of Ben Asher, which later we've been able to identify was the text of the Aleppo Codex. He yeah, had the Aleppo Codex. Okay. So 
what we see here is just reality, is we have not only drashot in the Gemara that are based on either variant texts when it comes to vibes, even variant texts or even errant texts when it comes to what's actually written there, but we also have Sifre Torah that are that are themselves at odds with each other, like our Et and Ve'et. And now, to bring it home, a very famous passage in the Sifri, it's also in the Yishalmi Tanit, I'll show it to you in the Sifri. And this is at the end of the Sifri, the Sifri at the end of the Torah. Me'ona Elohei Kerem, do you recognize those words? If you've ever been Chatan Torah, you better recognize those words. Those are the first three words of the last Aliyah in the Torah. Me'ona Elohei Kerem, mitachat zerot olam, right? So the Midrash says, Shlosha Sfarim Nimtsu'u Bazara. There were three Sifrei Torah found in the Azara. The Azara is the place where you'd keep the best Sifrei Torah in the Beit HaMikdash. Echad shel Me'onim. One of these Sifrei Torah was called Sefer Me'onim. Echad shel Hihi. I can't do, I can't make that up. Echad nikra Sefer Za'atutim. Why are they called this? Echad p'thiv Ma'on Elohei Kedem. Our Pasuk was written Ma'on instead of Me'onah. The other two had So Chachamim voted with the two and said Me'onah is the proper way to write it and Ma'on is wrong, which means that Sefer Torah was technically Pasul. Now, How do you write the word He in Chumash? Well, like, who with a vav. Usually who? In one of the Sifrei Torah, there were nine places where he was written with a yod, and in and in the other two, it was 11 places. So what they do? So they, they voted with the two, which means the one that had nine was now Pasul. And Bechag Tivai Shlachat Za'atutei Bnei Yisrael, that's at the end of Mishpatim. And the word Za'atut was not there. And that's the halacha. The halacha is we have 11 he's, we have Me'ona, and we have Na'arei and Atzilei, not Za'atut. But what does that mean? That means that each one of these Sifrei Torah was actually Pasul, according to the halacha. Because one of them was Ma'on, Another one had nine he, and the other one had zatut. But that's not unusual, because bottom line, Hakadosh Baruch Hu gave us the Torah. However, Hakadosh Baruch Hu gave the Torah to be written by Moshe Rabbeinu and then to be handed down and copied, and copied by humans. The what's remarkable about our Sifrei Torah is that there's so little variance in them. And then we utilize the halachic mechanism of all sorts of measuring pieces by which we determine which is going to be the authoritative nusach when there's a difference between them. And you see it right there. They used rov. These are the three authoritative sfarim. They were alike in every which way, except for each one had one detail different than the two. And we ended up ruling with the rov, and that's the psak. And so when we see Rashi commenting on a letter that is not in our Sifrei Torah, it should not overly bother us that Rashi and Ibn Ezra and the Chizkuni had a text in front of them that had a vav, 
And uh, are, who are we to determine what the original thing that HaKadosh Baruch Hu gave Moshe? I don't know. But I do know what the halacha is, and the halacha is that we write it without a vav. And hopefully that will be something good to hang our hat on, pun intended, because a vav, of course, is a hanger.